0: We'll be in the second part of a three part series here looking at life, liberty, and the pursuit of godliness. Uh, last week we looked at what Jesus had to say about what life is in John chapter 3. This morning we're going to look at what Jesus has to say about liberty or freedom um, in John chapter 8. We'll be in verses 31 through 59. Um, and then uh, next week we're going to look at what it is to pursue godliness. Um, in, the, in the Declaration of Independence, obviously Jefferson said the pursuit of happiness, um, and he borrowed that phrase from John Locke, and John Locke very much understood that if we were going to experience uh, happiness to its fullest at its greatest, that that would happen um, as we pursued happiness. And uh, had relationship with God. So uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of godliness. Obviously these words have taken on different meanings to different people um, as time has gone by. Um, And what we want to do in this series is give a really close look at what does Jesus have to say about each topic this morning focusing on liberty. Now, on the top of your handout there, it says, Give me liberty or give me death. Obviously, we know that statement. That was Patrick Henry on March 23rd, 1775. He said that at a time when uh, the colonists felt as though they had no, uh, no say in where their life was headed. Uh, right? No, they had taxation, but no representation. They wanted, they wanted some freedom. They wanted some liberty. They wanted to decide where things were going. Um, and that statement, give me liberty or give me death, was obviously a very political statement when Henry made it. But it's also a choice that we make each and every day. Each and every day that's set before us, we have a decision to make. Are we going to walk in liberty in Jesus Christ, or are we going to walk apart from Him and experience what the Scriptures would describe as death, separation from His life? And each day, we, we, we can make that choice. Now, the, the great thing is if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, liberty in Him is yours. You have freedom in Jesus Christ, and I'm going to explain more what that means as we go on. But that's been bought, it's been paid for, and it's yours if you're a Christian. You don't have to walk in separation from Him, but you can walk in relationship with Him and experience freedom. But this is a choice that we make each and every day. It's a choice that we make moment by moment. Am I going to walk in dependence upon the Lord Jesus Christ and experience liberty, or am I going to walk in my own strength and experience separation from Him? Um, Now, uh, there's a graphic here on legalism, license, and liberty. And if you look at this, we kind of have uh, the, the, the theme that ties... License, the idea that I can do whatever I want, I'm going to experience things myself, and the idea that ties legalism together is that they both have a do-it-yourself mentality. Tim Keller describes both of these things as uh, unidentical, illegitimate twins. They have the same parentage, but and, and, and they, they're, they're twins, they look a lot alike, but they're a little bit different. Um, and, and so this legalism has a do-it-yourself mentality. I'm going to check the moralistic or religious boxes and I'm going to live up to things on my own. The licensed side is I'm going not, I'm not, I'm to avoid the religious, I'm going to be irreligious and I'm going to do kind of whatever I want in life. Um, and they both have a do-it-yourself mentality where it's, it's up to you, it's up to me to, to do this. Now obviously in the midst there, you kind of have two valleys on either side. In the midst there's liberty in Christ. Now, the dangerous thing that we tend to do is when we see someone or we see a lot of legalism in our own lives, what we tend to do is we tend to think, well, that person or myself, I just need a dose of license. If they just knew more about what it was to let go of the, the religious side and, and go and do what they want, then they could they could experience some happiness. Or we meet somebody who's very irreligious and they just kind of they, they go with the flow of the world around them and they have a tendency to think like everybody else in the world thinks, and we we look at them and we think, man, if they could just have a dose of some religious activity, then maybe they could experience happiness. But the problem is, is when we, when we dose one of these with the other, it never brings us to a place where we actually experience liberty. And so what either side needs, whether it's legalism or license, what it needs is it needs a dose of Jesus. And within our own lives, if we're experiencing check all the boxes or do it yourself, we we don't need to jump to the other side, but instead of going around the mountain, we need to go up it to Christ. And that's really what I want to show you here, is that Jesus offers liberty uh, like nobody else can Now, in John chapter 8 here, Jesus is having a discussion with a group of of religious leaders, Jewish religious leaders. Last week, he had a a discussion with a religious leader, Nicodemus. And what we saw from Nicodemus was an openness. What you're going to see from this group of Jewish religious leaders is that they are very closed off and unwilling to listen. Um, And and so the, the conversation goes a little bit differently. But the first point here is that Jesus offers liberty through truth. Verse 31 through 33 So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So the first point here is that he offers liberty through truth. Um, Those who had believed, the word believe suggests lasting effects of a past action. They'd made a decision to follow Jesus. If you're a Christian, at some point in time in your life... You came to a realization that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. You came to a realization that you needed a Lord and a Savior. You came to a place where you ascended to those facts and you said, this is true. And then you looked at Jesus and you said, I'm going to place my faith in Him. Now, biblical faith is always continuing faith. It's never never a faith that kind of holds on for a minute and then decides to do something else. But biblical faith is continuing faith. And so that's what he's pointing to here. Those who had believed, if you continue in my word, it's to remain. Not those who are fickle, but genuine disciples remain in Jesus' teaching. They, they understand who he is. They understand what he offers. And they remain tight to him. And when, when there's a pull to go a different direction, they may, fo- they may feel that pug that that pull they may feel that pull they may even head towards that tug for a minute but in the end they recognize no i'm 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 staying attached to the one true vine to Jesus Christ i'm not going to separate myself from him he says if you do this you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free now this is truth on any matter under consideration like the pie question earlier all of you were wrong um, unless you're like me and it's pumpkin pie in the fall and during the summer it's lemon meringue. Okay, uh, The rest of you got it wrong. No, that's not, 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 not that kind of truth. But the kind of truth that he's talking about here is that you'll understand all spiritual matters. Whether it's a spiritual matter in your marriage or it's a spiritual matter with your finances or it's a spiritual matter with someone who's blinded and they don't know the truth or it's a spiritual matter with your family. You're going to know the truth if you remain in Jesus' teaching. He says, and the truth will make you free. This word free is liberation for sin. It's a a synonym for salvation. Jesus is saying, I am going to offer, offer the truth. And really what he offers is his own person, his own own character, his own uh, actions, his own life as an example, as an understanding of what truth is. And he says, through me, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. You will be liberated from sin. The, the, The binds that you have to sin will be broken. The power that sin has over you will be removed. And it won't come through your self-effort through some religious means. And it won't come through your self-effort through experiential matters. But it's going to come through Jesus Christ in relationship with Him. It says the Jews answered Him in 33. They answered Him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we shall become free? This is kind of an ironic statement. They must have forgot about Egypt. Um, They must have forgot about... The Romans—they um, must have forgot about multiple occasions where they had been enslaved, um, and, and and the emphasis here is is Jesus isn't talking about their social condition. He's talking about their spiritual condition. You're you're enslaved. You you need to be set free from sin. You need to be set free from a mindset that thinks that it's up to you, the very religious mindset that it's up to you to work your way out of sin. So while these people are physically descendants of Abraham, their actions are in stark contrast to what it is to place faith in God. But your first point there, and you have to get this, is Jesus offers liberty through truth. If we don't understand the truth, then we will never be actually free. Uh, Lori Pyle's service was yesterday. Um, Lori, Lori passed away this last week. She's with the Lord. Um, and her service yesterday had many, many amazing things said about her. Um, I kept getting things in my eye, and I couldn't get them out. Um, I, I might cry twice a year. And uh, Dave and Shane yesterday, talking about their wife and mom, uh, it got me good. Um, because you could, you, could, you could see the impact that Lori had on them. I didn't know... Um, I didn't know Lori really well, but I got to know, I got to know Shane, uh, her son, through youth group. And I got to know Dave through playing basketball and his time on the elder board. And we played a handful of rounds of golf together. I, I've got to know them. And what was amazing to me was just to see the impact um, that, that Lori had had on them. I knew them well. And as, as her life was unfolded before us yesterday at that memorial service, it was very clear to me the impact that she had on the two men. Um, that she was most directly related with, who, who I knew well. But one of the funny stories that was told was Lori was a school teacher, and um, the kids that had been through her classes wrote some notes, and one of the notes said, I'm so thankful that you taught me math, um, because I end up now now I know now I know how to how to add things up, and I and I won't make the mistake of walking into the wrong hotel room and Walk into the wrong number. I won't walk into the wrong number on the hotel door and find some family in their underwear, right? <laughs> Probably an illustration that Lori used to tell them the importance of math. But, but in order to understand the truth, much like math, there, there's there's empirical, understandable truth about math, and it's the same thing about our spiritual condition. It's 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 empirical and understandable, and Jesus has brought it to light. And if we want to experience the freedom of not walking in on some people in their underwear, or the experience of true freedom in Jesus Christ, we have to have the facts. And Jesus has offered us these facts. And we can understand who He is and we can understand our own condition and the freedom that we need to find from sin and the freedom that He offers, that He offers, the liberty that Jesus offers from sin through truth. And the next point there, 34 through 38, is Jesus offers liberty from enslavement to sin. Verse 34, Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. Anybody in here ever sin? Jesus' statement that if you've committed sin, you find yourself as enslaved to it. The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son does remain forever. So this, the, the slave, sin itself, can have a hold on you, but the son in the household has a greater place, the son being Jesus, and he has the ability to remove you from the household of sin and bring you into the household of righteousness and his father. So if the son makes you free, verse 36, you will be free indeed. So if, if you've placed faith in Jesus Christ, he's removed the bonds of, of sin, and he's removed you from enslavement to sin, and he offers you a new way to live. This is a hard truth, that apart from Jesus Christ, um, we are slaves to sin. We can want to do right, and in certain circumstances, we may even be able to do right. But in the end, we will always return to the nature that we have and find ourselves sinning, unless... Jesus Christ performs a work in our lives through faith. Unless through faith you look upon Jesus Christ and you understand your brokenness and your need of a Savior, and you come to Him as Lord and, and, and bow down before Him and follow Him, then you'll find yourself enslaved to sin. But He's saying that He can free us from that. If the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. And so as a Christian, you may find yourself pulled towards sin or dragged towards sin, but when you walk not in your own dependence, but upon dependence upon Him, you find yourself not sinning. You find yourself living a different way. If the Son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. If you're a Christian, you've experienced this, you've felt the pull towards sin, you've had the moment where there was a temptation or an outer bait and you wanted to live in a selfish way, but instead the Spirit of God spoke to your mind and to your heart, and because the Spirit of God is dwelling inside of you, you found yourself pulled towards something but understanding something far greater that lives within you, the the life and power of God, and instead of being pulled towards the sin, you walked in dependence upon God and found yourself doing actions that you wouldn't have done on your own. This is the experience that Jesus is offering you. That instead of constantly being pulled towards sin and giving in, that He's going to give you a different way. And instead of being drugged down into the do-it-yourself mentality of religiosity or the do-it-yourself mentality of experientialism, He's going to allow you to have a mentality where you're dependent upon Him. And instead of pushing other people aside to get what you want, you live in a different way because Christ lives within you. The Son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. Jesus offers liberty from enslavement to sin. Verse 37, I know that you are Abraham's descendants. He's speaking to the Jewish leaders here again. Yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. He's talking to them about their spiritual condition. They They are so far from God that when God appeared before them and spoke to them, they would not listen to what he had to say. I speak the things which I have seen with my Father, therefore you also do the things which you heard from your Father. He's talking to them about their their spiritual condition. That That they're part of a family where they have a Father. Each of us has a spiritual Father, so to speak, is the point that Jesus is bringing forward here. He's saying that my spiritual Father is God, your spiritual Father is someone else. And the other thing that he's pointing to is that a person's identity predetermines their disposition and then their actions. What's your identity? This is an important question. A person's identity, it predetermines their disposition and then their actions. Now, when you talk about identity, we can have a lot of different ideas come to mind. Um, uh, I've been traveling a bit this summer um, my family was in Denver for a while. With uh, My wife was with her, her, her mother and father-in-law with all the kids for a while while I did some work to the house. And we drove back and forth to Denver in that time period, and so I was listening to some audiobooks. books. Um, you need something to drown out the noise of six kids, right? Um, and so I'm listening to audiobooks, books, and the one, one of them that I've been enjoying is the first book in the Master and Commander series. And if you know the Master and Commander series, we're talking about 18th century um, English warfare at sea. Uh, the captain is Captain Jack Aubrey, and he has a doctor on his ship. Uh, named Stephen, and they have a conversation where they, they end up talking about identity. And the captain says, identity, comfortably pouring uh, some more coffee, is not identity something you are born with. So he immediately points to this identity, the, 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 ide- the idea that our identity is something that we're born with. Now, within the English mindset, this would have been very much social status is what he's talking about. If you were born into a certain social status, you were very likely going to stay there. That was your identity, Right. Uh, If there's another series out a little bit later on and and America as the United States has been formed and an English person says, you know, the idea that all men are created equal, isn't that preposterous, right? We're all created to a station so far as they were concerned. But the flip side of this and the doctor says, the the doctor then replies, Stephen replies, the identity I'm thinking of is something that hovers between a man and the rest of the world. A midpoint between his view of himself and theirs of him. For each, of course, affects the other continually. A reciprocal fluxation, sir. There's nothing absolute about this identity of mine. And so there's two, there's two ideas about identity. One would sort of be the religious idea or, uh, that, that we're born into an identity. Jesus has basically just spelled out that we're born into an identity where we're in Adam. When we, the identity that we're born with as Christians is we're born into sin. We have a representative, a a father, Adam, who sinned, and so that sin is passed on to us. That's our spiritual father so far as human terms are considered. Uh, We're born into sin. But then the other identity that the doctor is talking about is the one, the experiential one that we go out and we try and form. The identity where, you know, you're around a certain group of people, so you try and look a certain way. You know, you got your buddies and you you act a way around them and then the girl comes around and you act a little bit of a different way. Or you've got a group of people at work and you want to look a certain way for them, but then there's a group of people that are maybe a little bit more religious and you want to look a certain way for them. And you have this hypocrisy within you where you act one way around one group of people and another group, another way around another group of people, and you're in this constant as he calls it, fluxation, where you're trying to put on a mask or or trying to present yourself. You're managing your image to a group of people. And it constantly, it's something we do all the time. And the crazy thing is, is, is that both of these things are true, is that we have this identity that's founded in our representation of our father, our spiritual father, Adam, and that we're born into sin. But then we also fall prey to this idea that we can form our own identity through our experiences. And Jesus offers liberty from both of those things. Jesus offers liberty from the religious side of things, the spiritual side of things, where we're born in Adam and we're sinners by nature. But he also offers us freedom from having to go out and try and form our own identity and play the game. And so the next point here is that Jesus offers li- Jesus offers liberty by making us part of his family. Jesus offers liberty by making us part of his family. Family, Verse 39. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. He says, if you're Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. And in other words, the deeds of Abraham were solely based upon his faith in God. Right? G- Abraham believed God, and it was credit to him as righteousness. He believed God, and then because he believed God, he moved and he acted in a certain way. And he's saying, if, if, you're the ch- if you're Abraham's children, then live in that way. Live in faith and dependence upon God, and your deeds will then follow what you believe. But as it is, you're seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham, this Abraham did not do. In other words, I'm offering you something that Abraham didn't offer, a deeper understanding of who God is, and you're rejecting me. You're trying to kill me. Verse 41, you are doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, we are not born of fornication. We have one father, God. In other words, we are who we are with our lineage from Abraham. Don't try and tell us that we're spiritually corrupt. Verse 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come of my own initiative, but he sent me. If if you truly were a follower of God, then you would understand who I am. You'd look at my teaching, and like Nicodemus, you'd say, you'd look at my teaching and, and the miracles, and like Nicodemus, you would say, you clearly have to be from God. But they're not responding that way. Verse 43, why do you not understand what I'm saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. In other words, you've shut yourselves off from being, even being open to the spiritual truth that I'm offering you. Your hearts are closed off from the spiritual truth that, that Jesus is offering. You are of your father, the devil, verse 40, 44. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand with the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. At first, Jesus sort of insinuates that the spiritual father of these Jewish people is neither Abraham or God but Satan. And then he just comes around and says it. Your spiritual father is Satan. And the way that I can tell this The way that Jesus says I can put my finger on this is because you will not listen to what I have to say. Your spiritual condition is so far from me, you're so closed off from me, that you won't even listen to the truth that I'm trying to offer you. Jesus does something else in these verses, which a lot of people in our society have a problem with. He he confirms the reality of Satan, that Satan is a real being. Even most Christians you can ask them do you believe who do you think Satan is and they'll say something like a spiritual force or um, if you ask a non-Christian if, if who Satan is they'd probably say rubbish you know it's 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 made up baloney he doesn't exist but but Jesus says no no Satan is real and there is a an evil agent at work in this world and his 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 evilness is that he's rebelled against God and led people to do the same He's a murderer, and he's a liar, and he's the father of lies, and his goal is to deceive you. Verse 45, but because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them, because you are not of God. And he's saying that you have a spiritual family that is apart from God. Your father in in human terms is Adam and you find yourself with a sinful nature. Your father in spiritual terms is Satan and you find yourself uh, blinded, closed off to the truth. This is another hard truth. We need freedom from this. We need freedom from being represented by sin and being represented by rebellion. We need to be removed from sin and rebellion and brought into a right relationship with God. And Jesus is saying, I offer you that. Through me, you can be removed from sin and from rebellion and brought into the family of God. We can be adopted, we can be grafted in, we can be made part of God's family through what Jesus Christ offers on the cross through His death, burial, and resurrection. But Jesus offers us liberty by making us part of his family. He will draw us out of spiritual corruption and into a family of righteousness. Verses 48 through 50, Jesus offers liberty from spiritual blindness and self centeredness. The Jews answered him and said, Do we say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? What a response! Uh, you, don't even, you must not even be Jewish. You don't even have the right to talk to us about these things. You're probably only part Jewish, a Samaritan. You don't have the authority to speak to us on these things. And based upon what you're saying to us, we're pretty sure that you have a demon. You, that you're, you, you're saying that our father is Satan because we won't listen to you. But uh, we have it all together and we know everything and you clearly don't. And so you must be the one with the demon. Jesus points out their spiritual deficiency and instead of checking to see if he has a point, they immediately shut down and attack. Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. But I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. And so what we see here is that Jesus offers liberty from spiritual blindness and self-centeredness. These people are spiritually blind." They really believe they have it all together. They really do. They've got a group of people and they've come to some conclusions and their worldview is unquestionably the right worldview. No doubt about it. Our worldview is right. Don't even bother challenging. Sound familiar? Our worldview is right. We, we know who God is and we know how to be right with him and we've figured all that out and we're not going to listen to anybody that wants to tell us otherwise. They're, they're spiritually blind. And what's blinded them is the fact that it's groupthink. They're just going with what everybody else has told them. And, and if groupthink dominates your worldview, this is, that's a very dangerous place to be And I don't care if that's a religious groupthink, which we very clearly see from the, the Jewish leaders. If it's a religious groupthink, you've never checked your worldview. You've never looked outside of your own four walls to understand if what you believe even makes sense. You've never checked your version of truth. You've never looked around and said, you know, the scope of my truth is pretty shallow. I, I, all I understand is, a, is the little bubble that I've grown up in. And you never get outside of that bubble. And you never make your scope wide enough to go, what do these other religions say? What does, what, what, what does Hinduism say? What does Judaism say? What, does, what do these other things say? I have, to, I have to check and see, do I actually understand what I believe? And, and, and do I have a foundation to believe it in the first place? Religious groupthink is very dangerous. We've seen things like crusades where people are killed. We've seen we've seen all sorts of nasty things done in the name of Christ because a group of people say this is who he is and what he does and no one ever checks it. The flip side of that is the culture that we live in where groupthink dominates what everybody else thinks too. Um, the, the culture that we live in is that uh, you know, truth is relative. Truth is found through individual spirit experiences. Humans are free and basically good at their core. Something Jesus just said, no, humans are not good at their core. All paths are valid so long as they don't harm others and no one can tell you otherwise. That's, that's the mindset, the irreligious groupthink that exists. Have you ever tried to challenge it? What happens? You get told you have a demon basically, Right. Maybe they don't use those words, but that's, that's what happens. And so you have to look out for yourself. Do, do I just go along with what everybody else says, or is my understanding of truth broad enough? Have I opened up the scope of what God has done in the, around this world to actually know what I believe and why? So my point is this, is that groupthink is dangerous, and I don't care if it's religious or irreligious, there's no real liberty in that. We have to have an understanding of truth, and its methods have to be consistent. Okay, We have to have consistent methods to understand truth. If you just look at it how you want to in any given situation, you can make anything say anything. And this is what we very often do to to documents, right? We look at the Bible, and we place our grid on top of it, and we say, well, this is what I believe in the first place, so I'm going to make the Bible say what I want it to say. People do this with other historical documents, right? You get somebody, and you say, when we look at the Constitution, we need to look at it with the with with Consistent methods. We always look at language, history, and culture. What, what was the original writer's intent? Who was he writing to? And what, was it, what point was he trying to get across? What language did he use to do it? Um, and what was the culture of, t- of the time that he operated within? And so if you want to understand the Bible or any historical document, you have to answer those questions. You can't just lay what you want on top of something and say, well, we don't really care what the original writers had in mind. This is what we want, so let's make it happen. Right? So your methods of understanding truth have to be consistent. You can't just lay what you want on top of something and make it say what you want. The scope has to be broad enough, and we have to find validation in both history and experience. So the methods have to be consistent if you're going to understand truth. The scope has to be broad enough. You can't just be within your own little bubble and never get outside of it and understand, never understand anything outside of yourself. And you must find validation in history and experience, and this is where Jesus stands above everybody else. Jesus is a historical figure. No serious historian will say Jesus didn't exist. No serious historian would say that. They would question the resurrection and things along those lines, but no serious historian would say Jesus didn't exist. He clearly existed. Okay. So when we look at history, we can say here he is. This is the person. And then you can look at experience and you can say, look at when those people who truly follow this Jesus, when they, what, what, what experience do they have? What experience have I had through following Jesus? What experience have those who, I, who are close to me had through following Jesus? And so the methods of understanding truth have to be consistent. The scope has to be broad enough and it has to find validation in history and experience. If it doesn't do those things, then you have a fabricated version of truth probably made to suit your needs. And so the point that I want to the question that I really want to bring across here is are you open to receiving instruction from Jesus or are you or is, or is your worldview dominated by groupthink? The last point here is that Jesus offers liberty in an everlasting relationship with him. Verse 51 he says, "Truly truly I say to you, if anyone keeps my word he will never see death." The Jews said to him, Now we know you have a demon. Abraham died, and the prophets also. And you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death? Surely you are not greater than our father Abraham who died. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? It's a great question. Who do you make yourself out to be? If I looked at you and said, Hey, if if you believe me and keep the words that I say, um, you're never going to taste death. You're going to have eternal life. You look at me and go, you don't have any reason to say that, Kurt. You're going to die. You're not, you're not going to live forever. You don't have any ability to say that to me. Like when I, when I got married to my wife, we said until death do us part. I could tell my kids that I'll love them forever, but the fact of the matter is I probably won't be here in about 60 years, Right? And so I can't follow through on those promises. I don't have the ability to follow through on those promises. And so for Jesus to say, if you keep my words, you'll never taste death, their question is right. Who do you make yourself out to be? You don't have the, nobody has the ability to do that except one. Jesus answered and said, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. And you have not come to know Him, but I know Him. And if I say that I don't know him, I do not know him, I will be a liar like you, but I do know him and keep his word. In other words, you're you're questioning my identity. It's a good question. And what I'm telling you is that I have come directly from the Father. I know him. uh, He glorifies me. I represent him exactly. If I told you I wasn't doing those things, I would be lying. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. In other words, your father Abraham looked forward to the day of the Messiah when God would right wrongs, and he saw it and was glad. Verse 57, so the Jews said to him, you are not even 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. And he uses uh, that I am phrases who who God described himself to Moses as. Jehovah or Yahweh, I am who I am. I am self-existent. I don't have a beginning and I don't have an end. I'm eternal. And so the promise that he makes that if anyone keeps his words and follows him, they'll never taste death is one that only he can make. He doesn't have a beginning. He doesn't have an end. He is eternal and he's offering us liberty in the form of an everlasting relationship with him. I could tell my wife I'll love her forever, but aside from my relationship with Jesus, uh, I can't count on ever seeing her in eternity. I could tell my children that I'll love them forever, but aside from an eternal relationship with Jesus, I can never count on seeing them in the afterlife. So what Jesus is saying is that my scope, my, my... Eternal character is big enough to bring all of you in and give you life that is everlasting and through a relationship with me. Verse 59, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. They picked up stones to throw at him because they clearly understood that he was claiming to be God and they did not believe. They were closed off to that's who he was. So I want to go through this one more time just really quick. The, the, the points here are that Jesus offers us liberty through truth. Um, he'll give you the truth and the truth will make you free. You'll be freed from sin and you'll be... Uh, freed from religiosity and you'll be freed from an experiential side of always trying to figure things out for yourself but instead in him you'll be freed from enslavement and he offers you liberty for that from that and he offers you liberty by making you part of his family and giving you a firm identity Uh, he offers you liberty from spiritual blindness and self-centeredness from from not understanding the spiritual truth and for always living from your for yourself he offers you liberty from that the, the quickest way to understand that you're apart from Jesus is look at your relationships and how you approach them. Um, if you approach them in a self-centered manner, then you understand you're not following Jesus in that moment because Jesus didn't give us relationships to seek for ourselves. He gave us relationships to build into others. And the last point there is Jesus offers liberty in an everlasting relationship with him, something that nobody else can offer you. Nobody else can offer you an everlasting relationship. They, they can't because they're not everlasting. There's a quote on your handout from uh, Ravi Zacharias and Jesus Among Other Gods. Ravi Zacharias is a Christian apologist and debater, um, excellent speaker and writer. And in this book he says, I came to him, he's speaking of Jesus, I came to him because I did not know which way to turn. I remain with him because there is no other way I wish to turn. I came to him longing for something I did not have. I remain with him because I remain with him because I have something I will not trade. I came to him as a stranger, I remain with him the most intimate of friendships. I came to him unsure about the future, I remain with him certain about my destiny. I came to him among the thunderous cries of a culture of 330 million deities, Hinduism. I remain with him knowing the truth cannot be all inclusive. He's speaking of the experience of following Jesus. So the freedom that Jesus offers us is like nothing else and once experienced not something we lightly turn from. We don't quickly turn from Jesus because we've come to know the change that he produces in us, the security that he offers us, the the identity that he offers us. This change brings us closeness with God, kindness towards others, freedom from uncertainty and contentment that we will always have the best brought about in our lives. Jesus will always bring about the best in our lives. It might hurt in that moment. He might offer us discipline that maybe we didn't really want to have to go through, but in the long run, He will bring about the best in our lives. All this happens as we freely follow a God who loves us, gave Himself up for us, guides us here and now, and remains with us forever. That is liberty in Christ. Do you know it? Heavenly Father, I I pray that we do know it. I pray that we do know your Son, Jesus. And that through your Son, Jesus, we experience the the liberty that you offer. That through the truth of who you are and what you've done, you'll set us free from sin. From the enslavement to, to, to harming others and being in rebellion against you. And that you give us a new identity, you make us part of your family, a new spiritual identity where we're no longer represented by sin, but we're represented by your righteousness. And as we walk, as reborn children, we find ourselves living in a completely different way where our eyes are open to the spiritual truth around us and we see the self-centeredness that exists within us when we operate on our own. And we recognize that that self-centeredness is not something that grows relationships. Instead, it harms our relationships. And you've freed us from that. You've freed me to be a husband who can give to his wife without needing anything in return. You've freed me from a parent who's begrudging of his time and what seems like freedom uh, to, to, his, to my children. There are many times where I feel like, look at what I have to give up for my children. But the fact of the matter is you've freed me from that feeling so that I can love and bless my children. You freed me from that self-centeredness. And Jesus, you've offered me liberty through an everlasting, an unending relationship with an unending, everlasting God. When you say, before Abraham was, I am, you're saying, I am the eternal God, and I have come to offer something that nobody else can. It's an amazing offer that you have for us, Lord. So I pray that this liberty that you give us isn't something that's facts in our head, but experience in our days. It's not something that we know, but it's something that we know. that your voice isn't just red letters on a page, but your voice is uh, the guidance in my life. It's the, it's the words that come out of my mouth. It's the actions that proceed from my body and that, that my disposition and my actions would be found in my identity in you. And I pray that for each person in the room, that they would know the liberty that you offer and that they would experience it day by day. I pray these things in Jesus' name, and it's in your name, Jesus, that uh, we go and want to live the liberty that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen.